you ever wondered what goes on behind the table at a dance competition? Exactly what are the judges looking for anyway? This is Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. Each week, we'll cover a different topic related to the world of competitive dance from the perspective of the judges behind the table. The process of taking a dance class seems simple. Show up, learn a few new steps, practice some old favorites, and head home sweaty and sore. But there's more to taking a dance class than just those few things. And with new options for taking class virtually, it's even more important to know how to take class the right way. On episode 31 of Making the Impact, we discuss basic classroom etiquette, tips for a great virtual class experience, convention class taking, and the best way for teachers to get the results they're looking for from students who take class well. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Making the Impact of Dance Competition podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ortiz, and I am here with my co-host, Leslie Mueller. Hey everybody, happy October. Yay, happy October. Super excited to have two fabulous IDA judges on the roster here with us today talking about taking class in so many different ways, whether we're in the studio taking class, whether you're taking class virtually, which is a new thing, or convention class taking. So we're going to dive deep into this great, great discussion very shortly. But before we do, we are very excited to share one of our brand new sponsors of the season this year. And this is Dance Costumes by Urzua. They offer high-end custom dance costumes and dancewear for everybody. You can add the wow factor to your performance and impress the audience and judges on stage, in class, or at convention, which is so perfect for this episode. All of the profits from Dance Costumes by Urzua go to a dance fund that supports young dancers so they can continue their training. By purchasing a custom costume, you can help another dancer live their dream. Head over to their website at Dance Costumes by Urzua to check out all of the costume and dancewear options and use the code IDA15 at checkout to receive 15% off your next purchase. We're so excited to have Dance Costumes by Urzua sponsoring us season long, so thanks so much. So let's jump right into this episode. We have two IDA judges here, Ashley and Kimberly, and we're going to meet them and they're going to share a little bit about themselves with you all. So let's first start off with Kimberly. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I'm so happy to have you. This is your first appearance on the Making the Impact podcast. So welcome to the podcast fam. (laughs) Please feel free to share all of the listeners out there, since you're new, a little bit about who you are, where you're based, um, any career credits you want to share, and what you're currently up to. Sure. So I am based out of Massachusetts. I am a former studio owner. I owned a studio in Central Mass for about 10 years. Now I am living the mommy life with an 11-month-old. I also perform with Static Noise Dance Company out of Boston, Massachusetts. And I perform and choreograph for Theater at the Mount, based in Gardner, Massachusetts. Happy to have you. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you. And next up, you may remember this guest from our very, very, very first episode of Making the Impact, Season 1, Episode 1, What Dance Competitions Taught Me. We are so happy to welcome back Ashley Marinelli. Hi. Hi, guys. What's up? I'm really happy to be here again. (laughs) So happy to have you back, Ashley. And since, you know, you have people, please make sure you go back and listen to that fabulous episode because I really loved that one. And actually, like we mentioned in that episode, Ashley wrote a blog about that topic back in the day. I don't know Mm -hmm. when that was, but it was probably like 2015 or something. 
And Ashley writes so many fabulous blogs on the IDA blog, so go check those out. But feel free, Ashley, to share a little bit about yourself with all of our new listeners. Sure. I am a director, choreographer, performing artist, teacher, filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. I went to uh, the Tisch School of the Arts and since then have been working kind of in the commercial dance scene, in the concert dance scene, and in the theatrical world. I kind of straddle all those worlds and uh, try to be as versatile as possible. Right now I'm directing a film, a feature film, being filmed all over the world, which is really exciting. The comedy. I am the writer of a new play that's currently being produced. It's called Fall the House. And I'm teaching for a few organizations, namely Virtual Dance Center, where I've been teaching since the pandemic started. I usually teach at Perry Dance in New York City, but for obvious reasons, that's not happening right now. Yeah, but I'm glad to hear that you're teaching virtually right now. So yay. Well, we're so happy to have both of you ladies here. So thanks for joining. Yeah, awesome. And so I think we've got some multi-hyphenated guests here today. Both of you do many different things, crossing, spanning many different avenues of the dance world. So let's focus in on today. First, I want to talk about virtual class, because that is something that is, I mean, it's not brand new, because I think in some aspects, we've been doing some virtual things for the past several years as artists. Artists are always on the forefront of new and creative ways to get their art out there. So but but for the general dance studio population, I think virtual class is just this still months later after March 17th, is still just this brand new thing. So what do you think has been the hardest part of virtual teaching as a teacher? And what do you think has been the best part so far? I'm going to say that the best part was also the worst part for me. The fact that I live in a Brooklyn apartment, it's not enormous. And dealing with my oddly shaped living room has made me get creative about the kind of exercises I give, about the kind of combinations I'm able to demonstrate. And, you know, the fact that if I'm facing the camera, it's all mirrored for my students, and then I have to turn around so they can directly imitate me. But if I do, then they can't see my front. So it has inspired me to choreograph in a way that's more kind of rotational and 360 often involving kind of limited space, which has, you know, you put the pressure cooker lid on and interesting things come out the side. I don't know. There's an analogy there somewhere. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's caused me to get really creative choreographically and in terms of exercises. Kimberly, how has your experience been? And has your studio that you work for now done that? Yes, actually, both of the studios that I work for, because I work for a couple, did do virtual classes when the pandemic first hit. And Now we are offering both in-person and virtual classes being back in the studio. So we have the flat screen TVs. We have the iPad set up. That way we're prepared for anything. If a child is feeling ill, they can choose to stay home and still take dance class. So that's kind of nice. I think one of the biggest challenges for me was making sure that I connected to every student that was in my virtual classroom, making sure that they felt drawn in and we're focused on the lesson at hand instead of everything that's going on around them. So that was a constantly evolving learning process for myself, as well as the kids. If I may jump on to your statement, Kimberly, Mm -hmm. I thought it was so, because I've been teaching pretty much over Zoom, it has been interesting to have each individual kid in each individual box, because I can go down the line and watch everybody 
and give them each individual corrections in a way that sometimes in a class when things are chaotic, you go, uh, mm -hmm. have I talked to everyone? I don't know, probably. Then you just do your best. But that's actually been really um, helpful to me somehow. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to mention something similar that I experienced with that, Ashley, because I was at, recently asked by a studio to teach at like a summer intensive, but I was doing it virtually. And the kids at the summer intensive were actually in person or could be in person if they wanted to be. But communicating with the studio owner when we were trying to coordinate it, they were like, well, do you want me to just have all the kids be at home on Zoom? Would that be easier for you to be able to like give them individualized attention? instead of having like a camera in the studio space. And in my head, initially, I was like, no, I want you to be in studio space because if you have access and you're comfortably dancing, I want you to be on a sprung floor and I want you to have space to travel. And I didn't want to have to, you know, worry about the restriction of movement or safety because of, you know, our dancing in the living room or dancing on the concrete or wherever we're dancing at home. But then the studio owner was like, well, I think it might be easier if we just have them all dance on Zoom. So even though they were in, in studio for that prior to like the entire week of the intensive with all of their in-person teachers, then I pop in and I'm a Zoom teacher. They all go home, they dance in their dance spaces at home, whatever they created. And on my end, it was awesome because like you said, Ashley, I could see each kid. And something that I feel like is a hard thing for guest teachers in general is kind of getting to know your dancers in a short amount of time. And I felt like I got to know them a little bit more in the sense that they had their personal square. They had their name right in front of me. So much. Yes. Yeah, so helpful. <laughs> yeah. And I could just call them out like, Isabella, that was awesome. Great, great job. You know, or hey, everybody like, and I can spotlight Isabella. Yeah. Uh, Isabella's nailing it. Can you guys watch her do it? You know, it, it, it's definitely a different teaching experience for us. But I felt like a little in a weird way, more connected to the dancers because I could see them all on my screen. So it is a, a different world we're living in right now for the teachers and the students, obviously. But I, I liked that as well. I thought that, I thought that yeah. was interesting. There have been many pros and many cons together yeah. at the same time. What have y'all heard from your students about how their experience has been? Because I'm really curious. You know, you hear, I've heard just from a lot of friends that like the kids are burnt out on Zoom and it's mm -hmm. too, too much computer and they just want to be there with their friends. Like, has there been any positive coming from the students that you've heard? Actually, yes. I have a few students who have taken advantage of all of these incredible teachers around the world. And these are opportunities that they would never usually have. So they get to take class from people in LA and New York. And for a period of time there, a lot of the classes were free or very inexpensive. So they were able to do that and learn so much. And they came back to me and were like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah, I want to agree with Kimberly. I uh, have students from New Zealand and Ireland and Canada and South America. And it is really interesting to have them all in the room at the same time, not selfishly because I get to meet them, but they get to meet each other in a situation that they never would have met anyway, and I have some regulars that have come to my class now, and they're kind of Zoom friends. Like, they chat with each other, and they, like, compliment each other, and it's really sweet to see, like, this girl from Ireland chatting with this girl in New Zealand, and they just met over Zoom in my class, and now yeah. they're, like, pen pals. It's really Aww. heartening. I love it. It is cool how we've connected with so many dancers mm -hmm. and, and the dance industry during this time. I mean, We've said it before on the podcast, and I'm sure so many teachers, you know, have seen their students taking classes with 
instructors they could only have dreamed to ever take, you know, it is, it has been a positive thing in, in that way. And of course, it's not the ideal situation of, of learning virtually, but at the same time, it, it is, it is very unique and inspiring because dancers have been keeping up with taking class like crazy during this time because it, it was accessible. It was easy to do. Just pop online and make it happen. Yeah. What do you think, what do you think the best approach for students is like, I'm, st- I'm talking more technologically, like on the micro level of, you know, wh- what's the best space? Where are you putting your camera? Who, when do you go on mute? When do you not go on mute? Like that kind of thing. What do you expect from your students in that regard? Because I think, you know, even for the most technologically savvy adult, some of this, some of this is just still new and like logistically, right. how does it work the best? And what have y'all found in that regard? I mean, I hesitate to say you should or should not do these things simply because often it's an issue of accessibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you can take class on your tiny phone, that's better than no class at all. But I do think it's most helpful when a student frames themselves so you can see their whole body. Sometimes I'm left looking at like shoulders up or just knees. (laughs) And it's very, it's, it's hard to give corrections, obviously that way. Mm -hmm. But you know, I appreciate and accept that some of my students are just doing the best they can with the spaces that they have. Right. But I would always suggest putting if you can your camera or your computer kind of at your eye level or chest level, trying to frame it so that your whole body's in the frame. And if you move slightly left or slightly right, your body doesn't leave the frame entirely. You know, we do an across the floor exercise. And in the first count, they're out of frame, I can't really Uh, help them at all with that. But what I do that's been helpful for me is I get a USB cord and I plug my laptop into my TV. So the picture is a little bigger. So I can, you know, not squint and peer at the screen, but just look upwards and and see everyone as big as I can, you know, is is what I found to be helpful. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think one of the biggest things for students too, is to make sure that everybody in their household is on board with what they're doing, (laughs) respecting their space, whatever space they can find and carve out of their house, make sure it's dedicated to dance and everybody knows you're in class and is willing to let you take class without too many interruptions. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I've enjoyed, I'm not going to say I haven't, I have enjoyed the fact that I've seen a lot of students pets and and animal friends (laughs) join me on the zoom class and there was one class I was teaching it was actually when I was teaching hybrid classes in person this summer and my final day one of my dancers was zooming in and next thing you know here comes her little kitty walking past her marley floor in her home studio and of course I had to stop class because I needed to see the cat I needed to meet the cat (laughs) I've heard so many so many teachers say the same thing like I've met all of my kids pet like all of the students pets <laughs> mm-hmm. at home you might see a sibling come in and say hi on the zoom you know things like that but for the most part I think that's such a good point Kimberly I for, at least from my experience and I haven't been teaching as actively as, as some of you guys on on virtual but I do feel like that the the space that the, the kids are finding to work at home is is their space. I, I haven't felt like there were too many distractions. And that's the thing, you know, you're not in your dance studio. It, it Unless you have like a dance room that's yours. Some kids are dancing in their living room, you know. And to me, I saw all of the furniture pushed away. Mom and dad must have pushed the furniture out for them, have gone into the other room to do something else, you know, and have given them their space. And you know, that, that's a hard thing to request in like a family house, especially if you have other siblings. Right. And 
and you know things going on in life so yeah for sure my son's made an appearance in a number of classes <laughs> yeah I mean it like, is excuse me I live here too yeah yeah <laughs> My dog will sometimes uh, just come and sit on the couch while I take class. She like silently sits and judges me. That's what it feels like. She's like, point your feet, Ashley. Like, point your feet a little harder. Is that the best you can do? Oh, good. Awesome. All right. So let's let's shift a little more. So we do have obviously different parts of the country, different parts of the world are allowing, you know, people to come back into studio in some capacity now. Some places it's just go ahead, do your thing like you always did. Some people are a little different. But for some of us, it's been months since we've been in a studio and, you know, there's there's still some etiquette rules about how to take class that should always be reiterated, I think, in normal times anyway. But what are some things that you guys just have expectations for in in-person class? I mean, start from the very beginning. I will say, I think from the start, that first and foremost, you should take class. When you have the <laughs> option to take class, you should take class. Whether that is, you know, your regularly scheduled classes after school, or whether that's a free class at a convention, or whether it's a class that uh, your parents already paid for at a competition and you didn't know if you'd go or not, take class, always take class. If it's a style you don't know, especially take the class. If it's a style you think you're ter terrible at, take class. Like, I just want to say first and foremost that class is not about being the best one in the room. Class is about improving yourself and learning something you didn't know before and often the very classes you need to take are the classes that you don't have any clue about the style so that's my first point of view is <laughs> yes take class <laughs> <laughs> yes i think all four of us can agree on yes. that take when when you have the opportunity take it because one day there won't be the opportunity and you know we pop we had a few weeks back in march where it was a little sketchy and a little dicey and we didn't know if we'd have the opportunity so i wholeheartedly agree <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. Unless you're injured, in yes. which case, take or, care of yourself. Or sick, and please don't come. <laughs> don't take class. Right. That's the one caveat. I agree. I think one of the biggest things right now for students is to familiarize yourself with your studio's COVID protocols. Like, it's the fear of the unknown. I have so many kids coming up to me that are anxious and nervous about coming back to class. And if I just walk them through what they're going to need to do when they come to the studio, they feel so much better. And then we go through it and they're like, oh, that was nothing at all. I'm not scared anymore. And they feel wonderful being back in class. So definitely check with your studio owners and your state. I think it differs from city to city right now in Massachusetts, at least. Yeah. Board of Health oh, wow. will tell you what you can. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, Mass it's is really crazy. locking it down. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's great. <laughs> but yeah. Make sure you know your your protocol and what you're going to have to do, just so you're comfortable. It's all yeah. new. Well, and that's, I mean, I think that's just kind of your basic, you know, kids react better to structure than to non-structured things. And so, you know, even generally in dance class, it's like, okay, we come in, we put on our shoes, we sit on our spot, we mm -hmm. do the thing, like, same exact thing. You know, everybody feels better when they know what to expect. This is just a small layer on top of what they can already expect as we come in. We do our plies, we do our tondus. We this there's a structure and an order to our day. So I think that's really important to just add. Absolutely. I want to also say one of my biggest pet peeves when I teach is when students are unaware of their surroundings. Whether I mean, and this we, of course we're getting into a more mature concept. I'm not talking about five year olds. I'm not talking about seven year olds. I'm talking about <laughs> ten year olds and up. I would say. 
spatial awareness, being uh, cognizant of the people around them, making sure they know when they do a batma in the combo, they're not going to batma their friend in the head. Just being very aware of their space and where they are physically and where they are socially, knowing when it's kind of appropriate to scream with delight or laugh <laughs> very loud or, you know, <laughs> jump up and down. Like, I, I love genuine expressions of joy, but if I'm breaking down a very particular step, maybe that is not the precise moment to, you know, start talking about what happened to them at school that day. So just, I would boil that down to being aware of their surroundings mm -hmm. and being polite to all, all the people in the room. It's some, spatial awareness is a tough thing and it's something that, you know, I'm still struggle with sometimes, but I try to be a polite dancer in any class that I take and, and not shove people out of the way, not right. stand right in front of them in the mirror, stuff like that. Well, and I think that's one of the, you know, truly brilliant things. I think this has come out of the social distancing thing is, you know, we're constantly as dance teachers spread out, don't touch your friends, put your arms out to the side. And here we have these lovely taped boxes yeah. that everybody has started to do. And like, there's that visual that there's kids who maybe don't have that kind of spatial awareness right. yet, just intrinsically can see it. So, so I personally love that. I think we should have boxes all the yeah, time. Yeah, I think it's a great <laughs> learning tool in general, even for our little ones, as we're yeah. teaching them the spatial awareness. I think that's something we could take with us maybe after this, which is crazy that we're saying those types of things. But, you know, of course, it limits how many people you can pack into a classroom. And right now are restricted in, in that sense. But it could be a really great learning tool. Well, because I mean, even as adults, I mean, I, I can guarantee you all of us have been in a class as a professional adult dancer and been like, why is this person right next to me? Oof. Did you not learn spatial awareness? Who was your teacher? Like, fi oh, yeah. figure it out. And so if we can figure that out at five, right. you know, start to <laughs> start to get those boxes in our brains, um, I think it'll do everybody a great favor. I mean, I'm guilty of it, too. I can't count the number of times I've, like, backed up and right. <laughs> not looked behind me and bumped it. I mean, it happens. And yeah, don't beat yourself like, doing up my about it. It's going to be great. Yeah. Be aware. As a person. Be as aware as you can. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. I think this entire discussion today is, is going to be very much about class etiquette and things like that. And just remind, friendly reminders. And maybe, like, like Ashley kind of jumped in with a pet peeve. I'm going to bring a pet peeve of mine that kind of relates to spatial awareness as you were talking about that, Ashley. And you said, I think you might have said like standing in the way uh, or something like that. And one of my biggest pet peeves is in any sort of across the floor style class. And obviously it might be different now that we're trying to keep our distance, but I teach a lot of jazz. So I do across the floor a lot. And I would love for dancers to start being aware of that after you've completed your across the floor, that you need to remain out of the way for the next people to continue on with their across the floor. Because, you know, the line leader wants to get ready for the next side. So they just kind of wait in the spot that the kid is coming full blown side leap right at their face. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, you gotta, you gotta move, you know, get out of the way. Or if, if there are kids that are trying to reverse the net for the, the combination to the next side, which I always love. Thank you so much for reversing, which please always do that. But do it out of the way. Because there's still kids that need to finish the right side or the left side or whichever side we're working on. So that's one of my like spatial awareness slash don't stand in the way pet peeves mm -hmm. in class that I would love to see kids be a little bit more aware of. <laughs> and good training for future theatrical dancing where you have to come out of the wing. Someone's coming out into the wing and someone's got to come out of the wing two seconds later, but you got to let that person pass depending on how big your wings are. Like these are practical concerns for life, uh, you know. Yeah. And another, speaking of like the beginning of, so you, you focused on the end of that across the floor. I'm always focused on the beginning mm -hmm. because most 
students want to start like 15 feet into the room before they go across the floor and i'm like back it up back it up you have this is a whole phrase that you just you you negated because you started way out there so you know Mm -hmm. helpful class tips you know finish the phrase but start it as close to that wall as you can and and snake your line around because that's valuable space oh yeah i mean there's so many times where i teach like a progression across the floor and in my head, I think that it is possible to complete this progression in the space that, that we ha- are blessed with. Like, <laughs> this is possible. Now, your job as the dancer is to figure out how to structure the movement to be able to complete the full three counts, four counts of eight without cutting off the, the leap at the end or whatever, you know, the final phrase is. And there's so many times where dancers and, and you know, of course, we're all students, so we're learning, we're figuring this out. But it's like trial and error. It's like, all right, so you already are halfway across the floor in the first count of eight. You still have two more counts of eight in the progression to finish. So how are you going to get that leap in there? If, if, you know, they kind of cut that short. And I'm like, no, I, I want to see the leap. That's part of the deal. So it's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, you know, so then we as dancers have to go back and figure out how can I, you know, restructure this? Do I not travel as much on that back pod beret or whatever it is? Travel that underneath myself so that way I can have room for that. So you know, that also comes into that's just being a smart dancer. And I think that comes down to maturity. Like I'm expecting this more out of like our teen and over level to have this knowledge. But um, again, I feel like that's also another spatial awareness thing, knowing how much space you have, how much depth you have to use. And that applies to if you started halfway in the middle of the floor for your across the floor, then you're losing out on the space. Totally kind of a related topic in ballet class when you know one group is doing an adagio and then you have four counts for the next group to come in and that group to leave the floor I'd say to group number two take the initiative go assume that the people in front of you will get the heck out in a timely fashion and if you hesitate and then everyone's in the back of the room on top of each other Mm -hmm. trying to do an écarté développé like go run (laughs) set yourself up and then start with finesse yeah yeah that's I such agree a good point especially right now too like in the studios that I am teaching in right now we have designated spots for students to wait off of the dance floor mm, so when it's not your turn to do cool. the adage or whatever you need to wait and that spot isn't always terribly close to where you need to be so you better move as soon mm, as right. that first group is done I love that yeah that's really smart just because you know, and again, really smart for the future times too. And maybe we don't really have to worry about it, but it's like, oh no, Sally, you got to be there because Katie's over there and we have to keep you guys separate. And that's just where you stand. Sally and Katie, man. (laughs) There's always a Sally and a Katie. There's always a Sally and a Katie. Wait, I have another related and I'll shut up. No, please. But stop talking, Ashley. We love this. It's a podcast. You know that I can just keep talking. So this is a problem. Okay. But related, but not specifically the same thing. I love an eager class. Don't get me wrong. I love when people are hungry to be there and everyone wants to crowd to the front in like a contemporary class to learn the combo. However, I just want to remind all the dancers out there that as a teacher, I can see the back row just as well as the front row. So, I mean, especially when it comes to convention classes and there are mass amounts of people in a small space, I'm sometimes on stage. I can see everyone in the room. And if you can't move and you're stuck in the middle of a giant group of people go to the back find your own space i my eye will probably be drawn to you more if you're on your own way in the back corner full doing the movement full out than if you're in a crush of people in the center of the room 
So don't be afraid. I think what people are trying to do when they push to the front of the room is to tell the teacher, I'm here, I'm ready to learn, right. I'm very eager to learn. And all those things are appreciated, but you can do that just as well from the back of the room. Just don't you know, mark everything just because you're in the back. We can see everybody. Mm -hmm. So make sure you have room to dance. Yeah, that's a, a huge pet peeve of mine too. Now that mm -hmm. we've sort of transitioned into convention where we, where we do usually have massive amounts of space. And every time it's, it's you know, the, the hungry people who are up, up stage and you're just like, go back, go. You have so much room. You How how often do we have that much room? Yeah. I mean, I love a convention. I love oh, it. <laughs> I will be Me way too. over there in the corner with my whole studio space to myself oh, being able gorgeous. to dance full out. Right. And then you've got 15 people and, you know, a square foot <laughs> trying their best to be noticed. And, you know, sometimes it's not about being noticed. Sometimes it's about having the space to, you know, live your best life. And then that mm -hmm. will in turn get you noticed. Right. If you're able to live your best life, then yeah, like Leslie says, chances are <laughs> you'll be doing something right and get noticed. Right. Totally. Hey, listeners, whether you're a studio owner, teacher, or even a dance parent, I'm sure that you've already started costume hunting for next season. And if you're looking to stand out in the crowd with a beautifully designed custom costume, then you should check out our sponsor, Dance Costumes by Urzua. They offer a variety of styles for all genres, and guess what? You can even get a custom costume design for your group routines. They're offering studio owners a really great promo for the next month. Buy two, get one free for all group costumes. This offer is only valid until November 2nd, so head to their website at dancecostumesbyarzua.com and contact them now to take advantage of this exciting offer. And now, back to the show. Yeah, I feel like especially in the convention setting now that we're talking about, you know, taking class in, in that style, which is obviously extremely different than taking class in your studio. I feel like I noticed that specifically as far as crowding to the front in our mini junior age divisions more than I do a teen a little, but like seniors have figured out what yes. we're saying. Seniors have definitely listened to us or have just decided that they're over being in the front and it's not about a popularity contest or whatever, <laughs> and they just want to take class for class. And there have been so many times I can specifically remember one off the top of my head where I'm like, hey, you back there, I see you. You're killing it. You're amazing. I love every second of it. Come up on stage with me. Like, I have seen that dancer in the back because my eye, first of all, they were nailing the choreography. They were doing it full out. They had room to travel. Like they were taking advantage of the beautiful ballroom space that they had instead of being right on top of me where there's a thousand children and I can't see. I'm a side learner. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm curious to hear everybody else's preference because I feel like every dancer is different, but like especially and I'm thinking like in the audition world lately, but like not lately, but you know. <laughs> a year ago. Yeah, a year ago. <laughs> I like to learn from the back side. So like mm. in the upstage left corner is where I like to learn. And I usually have to squat and duck through legs mm -hmm. to see exactly what the details are, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm cool with because I have a little bit more space. I'm not crammed in the front. I'm not going to smack anybody in, in, you know, in the eye while I'm trying to learn. But then I also have the back view of the instructor or the assistant and then the mirrored view as well. So I can kind of that's just, I don't know why I've naturally gone that way. Yeah. Some people really prefer learning right behind the teacher, right in the front line. What is everybody else's preference as a class taker? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you, Courtney. I'm a little bit taller than you. I know because I've been in many an audition <laughs> with you. But um, 
Yeah, I love that view where you can see both the back of the instructor on an angle and yeah. if there's a mirror, the mirror view. I don't like being directly to the side of them and I don't like being directly behind them. Mm. I do try to find myself space in any room I'm in to travel because I know that I have some long legs and I love to travel. So if I have the opportunity, I make sure I'm on the end. I kind of yeah. figure out which way the combo moves mm -hmm. and I put myself in a situation where I'm the one that gets to travel the most just because it's more fun that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But know yourself, know thyself. <laughs> I'm the same way. I prefer the back to the side. And a lot of times in the larger conventions, they have like a sound and lighting booth, like right smack dab in the middle of the back. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to go to the side of that. And I prefer to learn in the back because I feel less pressure. Right. Yep. I feel like I have some time to really process, sort of marinate in the choreography. And mm -hmm. then when it's the small groups, I can go out and nail it. Exactly. That's that's my same mentality with that. I want to learn in space from the back where I no eyes are on me. Yes, the teachers can probably see me back there, but I feel like I'm in my own little zone in the back. And then once I did it a few times, then once it's groups, I can feel confident going into the front if that's where I choose to go. And I, I'm kind of I don't typically ever go to the super front in like class setting unless I'm like, I'm nailing this. I'm I feel so confident. But I, I usually take class for me and I just I like my bubble in the back. That's but you know, that doesn't work for everybody. I yeah. think it depends on the situation. Because today we're talking about taking class. If you're trying to stand out in an audition, I think that that's a different scenario. And, and that can be applied to if you're auditioning in a convention setting, because every convention has auditions, or if you're trying to, you know, get called out in in that class, because you want to get selected for the scholarship or you know, whatever it is. I mean, unfortunately, a lot class shouldn't always be about winning something class should be for us. We, and you you as a dancer and an artist and you know, the, those achievements that you're trying to set for yourself. But in a weird way, especially and I, I mean, I'm sure we feel this in conventions, it's kind of like, it's always a competition in class, sort of, yeah, you know sure. what I mean? Yeah, instead of like taking class for class. At, Sorry, at a convention, you're usually there's usually some sort of scholarship aspect, right? Or we're gonna pick the person who stood out the best for something. Like you're so wearing a number the whole yeah, time. Yeah, there's, like... there's always an element of that at most yeah. places. Yeah. Hmm. I want to jump on something you said, Courtney, because I think it's an interesting point that unless, of course, it is an audition, then the circumstances are slightly different. But class is not a performance by and large, even if you're in a big convention class and the idea is that people are gonna give out scholarships. I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this. It really weirds me out a little bit if people have like a full face of stage makeup and rhinestones and like a matching like top and bottom. Like I'm not against a matching, you know, bra and leggings combo, but sometimes it feels like over exaggerated to the point where I can't focus on the dancing. Mm -hmm. I'm like distracted by elements that are usually shown on stage that like with lights and with music mm -hmm. and me being, you know, 20 feet away in the audience don't read so much. But when you're face to face with someone in a class, and you're trying to give them a correction, I get a little bit distracted by rhinestones, I get a little bit distracted by like, performance makeup and like performance wear. Does that make sense? I would much rather people I mean, of course, studios are different because you have dress codes, etc. But in convention classes, I would much rather people wear something that you know, flatters them and makes them feel comfortable rather than trying to grab attention with their looks, mm -hmm. let your dancing grab attention, right? Uh, instead of your like costume, you know? Yeah. 
I agree. I think that, and, and again, I think it comes back around to this, which I'm trying to decide if this is a good or bad thing in the industry now that we're kind of talking about this as far as like how conventions are set up. I love rewarding dancers for their for their achievements. And, you know, if they stood out, I feel like that they do deserve to get recognized. I think that we need to go from an approach of you were recognized because you did something really great in class you know, in that style or you picked up the choreography really well or again it shouldn't be about a fashion show or how in your face mm-hmm. you were with me as the teacher or you know another just take flipping the script a little bit like another thing that just came to mind is there are a lot of dancers in conventions that feel like they can go into the group multiple times when it's not right, the group right and i think that they think they can do this because oh well it's another chance for the teacher to see me right and it actually <laughs> is going to backfire on you 100 <laughs> i see i know that you were in group one and now you're dancing again in group three and i'm a little bit mad about it because you just took space away from another dancer who didn't get a chance to dance yet and it's becomes comes across to me as trying to just you know be a favorite and self-centered right. a little bit and you know i think that that's something that's really important. I, I also think that teachers might say to do that or parents might mm. say to do yeah. that. But I'm, as a convention teacher, letting the parents and teachers know that's not really good etiquette as far as convention class taking. So I'm sure there's other things as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that because, you know, on the one hand, I can I can look at both sides of it. It's like if I'm a parent and I've paid money for my kid to be here and there's this giant ballroom, mm-hmm. why wouldn't my kid go and do it every time? And I say to that, sure, but over there. Right. You know, if it's a giant ballroom, if you just want to do the combo to do the combo, there's plenty of space over there. Right. Not smack in the middle, because I've seen both situations where, we're going to call Sally out again. Sally comes (laughs) back into the middle of the group three times. And like you said, takes the space away from, you know, this one person who, you know, she's really nervous, but she really wants to shine. And she she thinks she knows this combo. And then Sally comes back out and gets right in front of her. Right. And like, that's just, that just takes me down out of the energy of the moment and out of like my excitement for the whole thing Mm -hmm. as a teacher, because that's just, it's just selfish and it's entitled. So, you know, I feel like if you are the kind of dancer who has either been encouraged or yourself feels like I want to do this again for me, absolutely go over to the side and do it for you because chances are I'm not looking at you. I want to look at group two, you know? I want to like boil down what we are talking about to like a phrase that I'm trying to formulate in my head right now, which is. Eagerness is a great thing if it's directed towards your own self-development. Eagerness is not a great thing if it's for people to notice you. Yes. Because genuinely, if you're interested in your own self-development, people will notice you. Mm-hmm. They'll notice you working hard. They'll notice you, you know, working on self. But trying to be noticed in the situation usually backfires. Oh, that's brilliant. In my, in my re- regard. Well, exactly what I Because it's not even just for... Yes. This is a life piece of advice from Ashley Marinelli, <laughs> yep. which she is apt to give at any given time. And they're always these like gems. Guys, I try. I try. <laughs> Can you please write a self-help book? Because I would buy it. I don't know how useful my self-help book would be, but there you go. I will Venmo you. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's not only great advice for dancers and artists and creatives and people trying to better themselves in, in our world, but also just generally as human beings, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's in, in the culture that we live in with you know, social media and TikTok and everything where people are just so hungry for attention. You know, if, like you said, eagerness for self-development is one thing. Eagerness for just wanting to be the center of attention is a whole nother thing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And something that I think many people find distasteful, mm-hmm. myself included. But maybe I'm just from a different generation. Kimberly, do you agree with me? I completely <laughs> agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah, so good. Go one on. other thing. Sorry, I have so many thoughts. I you love can it. Shut me up. The one other thing that I think that people should, it's a little different in a studio setting, but because again, there are dress codes and things. But if you're taking an open class from a teacher or you're taking convention class from a series of teachers, I think maybe do a little bit of research beforehand so you know who you're taking class from. So Mm -hmm. you kind of understand the expectations and you understand what is going to help you most when it comes to, you know, clothing. I'm not talking about specific styles of clothing. I'm talking about if you know you're taking from a contemporary teacher that does a lot of floor work, maybe a tight and a short short isn't the best option if you know you're going to be sliding on the floor and you're going to hurt your knees, knowing kind of catching a vibe and understanding what's expected in this class versus another class. You know, I I take a lot of classes in New York and I know sometimes the expectation is that you 100% commit and you're not marking and you do your batma every time and it's sharp and it's clean and that's the vibe of the class. You can go with that vibe as opposed to if you know you're taking kind of a postmodern class and you know like uh, it's a more chill vibe and experimentation is what the teacher is looking for, not necessarily like committing and punching everything. It's just a question of style. And I think, of course, this is an advanced concept for more mature dancers, but know who you're auditioning for if you're auditioning. Know who you're taking class from and and try to understand what they expect. And that's a lifelong practice. I mean, we all audition all the time, I'm sure. And, you know, it's sometimes you go into a room and you're like, oh, man, I thought this choreographer wanted this. But based on the fact that I was just cut, I guess, I guess guess not. not. So, I mean, it's hard, but just have a general sense of what you're walking into when you take class. Well, that's I think. good life. I again, agree. again, with the life skills, you wouldn't, you wouldn't interview for a job for a company that you didn't research, you know, right. and, and that would just be silly. And same applies here. And, and it can be, and these days, here we go, social media, just Google them, mm-hmm. you know, Google the teacher. And, mm-hmm. and perhaps there's plenty of people out there, like, you're not really going to see a lot of my work on my social media because I'm not promoting myself always as a dance teacher. But there's something, there's always something you can find, you know, about about somebody who's going to be teaching you dance. I agree. And I think this, this can fall on the teachers as well. If you know your students are going to a convention, I always sit down with my students. I'm like, okay, here's who you have this weekend. That's really This smart. is what their style is. Be ready. And just sort of mentally prepare them. And that in turn, it teaches them that they need to do that as well. Because they'll come to me and tell me, oh, I found this person on Instagram. I can't wait to take class with them. Awesome. Yeah, I think that it's really important for, like you said, Kimberly, for teachers is you just kind of sit down and just lay it out to the students, the parents, so everybody's on the same page as far as what the expectation is to prepare for class appropriately. Something that you mentioned, Ashley, as far as like wardrobe and things, I think that's so important. I know that I'm guilty of this as well as a class taker where I don't have every single thing I need in my my dance bag presently with me for the class that I'm going to take. And I've learned the hard ways many times. I've been at many auditions where I didn't have my knee pads, which I needed Ugh, my knee pads. Always. You, you always know? need your knee pads. And you don't really – you think that when you're young, you're invincible. And because I never wore knee pads when I was young. And now I'm old and I need knee pads and every day. And you did all those West Side Story auditions? <laughs> yes. Oh. But I never was doing anybody's like you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like I had knee pads for all those years. So That's a knee pad situation 100%. 
But I think that, you know, definitely have knee pads in your dance bag. If you don't have them already, go and get some on Amazon. Please get some knee pads. Have like cheap. You can get them super cheap. Get the I'm flesh selling cone. a pair for $5. Okay, Leslie's selling them. <laughs> Buy them on Leslie. Have every single pair of dance shoes because you never know. That said, I'd rather you take class than not take class. If you're like, oh, mm-hmm. shoot, I don't have baggy pants. I'm taking this contemporary class. I know there's going to be floor work. Oh, I should just sit out. No, no, no. If you've got bare knees and a pair of short shorts, it's fine. Come We'll modify. And, you know, I'm sure we're all smart teachers. I would see that person in the back of the room and go, oh, shoot, their knees are going to be cut up and suggest an alternative for them. Yeah. Or would try. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. No, no, you're good. Yeah. It's just it's just a matter of coming prepared. You wouldn't come to tap class without your tap shoes. You hopefully wouldn't come to ballet class without your hair in a bun and your ballet shoes on. And those are things those are just etiquette things that are enforced differently at every studio that you go to however you know i think that we across the board know a lot of those those general things where like your hair most likely should go in a bun you most likely should have a leotard and tights on it for a ballet class things like that again even if it's not enforced at your studio if you are going to be going to a guest class or if you are taking class at a convention it might be enforced so you still need to know those those general etiquette rules across the board for like dance etiquette you know, if, especially when you go to a convention, you're representing your studio. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you show up and you don't have on these things or, you know, if you've completely just disregarded, I mean, I'm not talking about forgetting a thing here or there, but, you know, if you show up and you're just not ready to do the work, then that reflects on your studio. And, you know, that may be the case at your studio or it may not be, but I would rather err on the side of, you know, let me represent as best I can. So I show up here and people think, oh, Miss Sally's School of Dance. Sally's right. just all over the place today. Miss you Sally. Know, this, is a, this is a great Gosh, place to darn. dance. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do, I think that it's very important, like you said, like you are representing your studio. So when we go back to it, I think that it comes down to the teachers reminding the children and the, the students and the parents lay it out for them. You know, have that brief little meeting either right before or the day before at the studio, whatever it needs to be, an email. I don't care how you get the information out. It just needs to get out so everyone's on the same page. And if your studio didn't do that prior to, then as a dance parent or a dancer, that's then your responsibility to kind of do your research and and make sure that you have everything prepped and ready. On that note, I think in that pep talk that you're having with your students, also take a moment to discuss what they want out of that convention. Are they that child that wants to be at the front of every class? They want to get the scholarship. They want to do this. Okay, well, what steps are we going to do? to get you to that goal? Are they a child that just wants to go and bond with their teammates? Awesome. But determining what they want out of the weekend is huge. So we're not setting ourselves up for disappointment. Yeah, 100% agree. Ash, what were you going to say? Oh, I agree with Kimberly on that one. Kimberly, I'm just curious what you think about this. The two things that make me feel bad as a teacher that students often do, and I don't think intentionally, but makes me a little sad is when they yawn and don't cover their yawn. Like, listen, I I had Russian ballet mm-hmm. teachers who said no yawning in class, yeah. pay attention. Sometimes you have to yawn. Sometimes it just happens. But mm-hmm. like, if you're gonna yawn, try to disguise it, cover your mouth, pretend like you're not yawning. It just makes me feel like I'm not boring you. Mm-hmm. And when students look at the clock a number of times mm-hmm. and you, you see them do it, yeah. you know, we've all been over? How much classes? longer is class? 
Yeah, yeah. I hate that question. The worst. The worst. <laughs> and legitimately, <laughs> you might not like my class, and that's okay. You don't have an obligation to like my class, but be polite. We are people too and have yeah. feelings. And when you look at the clock like three times in five minutes, I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, just be polite and pretend like you're enjoying this class. Right. Mm-hmm. I've removed. Have to. Yeah. Yeah. I've removed the clocks from my oh, studio spaces yeah. and they're yeah. not allowed to wear their apple watches oh oh, oh yeah that's, so they're not yeah that's gotta be a, oh look who snapchatted me right that right. sort of thing during ballet just <laughs> yes port bra right snapchat ashley yeah, you brought up the yawn and i have a quick story about the yawn oh a personal I hear. story which I'll never forget, because when you said <laughs> that, I was like, oh, man, I learned my lesson very quickly with the yawn. So when I was young, I went to Jazz Dance World Congress, which I don't know if that exists anymore. Totally. I never went, but I knew about it as a kid. It was like a it was by Giordano and it was a jazz dance convention, pretty much. But it was very it wasn't like the dance conventions now. It, it was very much educational and training and jazz. But I think I might have been around like 13, 14 years old. Weekend long of classes, probably the first class of the day because I yawned. Didn't cover my mouth or quick enough if that was the case. And Nan Giordano oh no. Oh no. literally called me out in front of the entire class, which by the way, wasn't a class for kids. It was like <gasps> you're taking class with all different oh, ages no. of, of dancers. And here oh, no. is my... 13 little booty just yawning away in, in Nan Giordano's class. And I got ripped a new one and made an example of, and I was the most embarrassed, and my teacher was the most embarrassed, and I will never forget that. So please cover your yawns, everyone, <laughs> because Ooh. you never know who you're going to offend. Some A teacher may call you out, and you'll be like completely embarrassed the rest of your entire life. I mean, that's still with me to this day as a dancer. Anytime, I always cover my yawn now. But I was just, you know, being a stupid 13-year-old at the time that didn't think that right. I was seen in a pool of, you know, yeah. a convention class. And I was. So you got to be careful of those things because all eyes are always on you. Always. Right. And similarly. we can see you. We can see you. Yes. Right. You all. <laughs> Sometimes I think that kids do not realize that we can see you. That like, and I mean, now we used to joke, like, I'm not your TV screen, but now we are. But I can also <laughs> still see you. But similarly... Every, you know, I'm doing it right now because it's comfortable. You put your hands on your hips as a place to rest your hands or cross, chest. Or cross your arms. Yeah. And, and I had never, I had never had that reprimand growing up. But mm-hmm. when I got to college, that was 100%. You, your arms are at your side. You do not put them anywhere else. You would always get called mm-hmm. out. No hands on hips, no arms crossing. And that's something I still struggle with a little today because oh, it's yeah. just such a tick. But yeah, so that's, that's a giant pet peeve. I think of many teachers also is, you know, you may not be bored, you may not be disinterested, but if you put your arms across your chest, that's what you look like. So please don't do that. Put your arms to the side. All right. We've been talking so much about etiquette tips pretty much in class and how to get back to class virtually in studio at conventions. Let's just do like a little speed round on our end of different etiquette and class taking things that we as teachers want dance students to follow. Ready, set, go. Wear deodorant. Ooh, good one. Be on time. Please be on time to class. If you have a question, try to figure it out yourself first before asking. Yes, don't repeat the same question someone's already asked. Put away and shut off your cell phone. Yes, please. And your Apple Watch. Yes, no Apple Watches in class. (laughs) Let's see. Make sure that your dance bag isn't in the middle of the floor or 
like overflowing make sure it's either outside in a cubby or packed away on the side of the the classroom so you're spatially aware which is another one be spatially aware unless you desperately need water and feel dehydrated don't drink water every five seconds a human being can go three days without water you'll be fine for an hour yes and on Mm -hmm. that bring your water bottle into the dance space with you and make sure you use the restroom before class agree yes Hmm. um want other ones want to be there just want (laughs) to be there if you're gonna (laughs) take class commit to taking class don't be there halfway yes and don't try to be the teacher oh yeah don't try to be the teacher Always take responsibility for the energy you're bringing into that space. Mm, love it. Know that you have freedom to embellish choreography, but don't get too far away from what your teacher is asking for. Mm, love that as well. Make sure you're courteous. Say thank you at the end of class. Applaud mm. for the class. Yes, I love when, te- when, when kids say thank you at the end of class. It is really lovely. Any other ones? Watch the other people in your class, whether on Zoom or in person, to gather more information. That way you become the best combination of everyone that you dance with. Steal Mm. stuff from them that you like and leave the things alone that you don't like and you will become, like I say, the best hodgepodge of everyone you dance with. Mm, I love that. Love it. So many good things. All right, y'all. Well, this has been a great discussion. We've covered a lot of things, hopefully, that will help all of the dancers out there who are listening, who are back in class, who are prepping for the season, take these into class with you when you head into the classroom, whether it's tomorrow or next week or in the future. And same with virtually and in conventions because that season's coming back, hopefully live in person conventions are coming back this season. So this was great. I love, I love this discussion. Thanks you guys. And happy teaching. I'm sure you're excited to get back to it on a more regular basis and just enjoy yourselves. So Both of you guys can lead us out with any final thoughts that you want to share with the podcast world, whether it's about how to take class or teaching, anything you'd like to share. Ready, set, go. Let's all be grateful for the opportunity to dance again, whether you're in the studio or on Zoom. We've seen how easily this can be ripped away from our lives. So be grateful for every second you have the chance to dance. Yeah, I would say that I want to let students know that we're excited when you succeed also as teachers. We're cheering for you, and it is so entertaining and fulfilling when we see a breakthrough in you. And and that's one of my favorite things about teaching. So we're on your side, and we're rooting for you, even though we give you some tough love sometimes. Thanks so much for joining us for episode 31 of Making the Impact. You can find our guests on social media, Ashley at ALM433 and Kimberly at Kimba2484. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher so you don't miss out on our upcoming episodes, releasing every Thursday throughout the dance season. Are you enjoying season two so far? If so, we would really love to hear from you. Head over to Apple Podcasts now to rate us and leave us a fabulous review. Or shoot us a message on Instagram to say hi. You can find us at Impact Dance Adjudicators across all social media platforms. And don't forget, head to our website or link in the show notes to send us a question you'd like to hear answered on an upcoming Q&A with Courtney episode. Coming up in the next few weeks, topics include unique choreography concepts, correctly categorizing your dances, and the October edition of Q&A with Courtney filmed live. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Until next time, keep dancing!